good day and thanks for listening to our podcast today Michael Meso, who is the head of the Employment Law Department, and I are going to be discussing vaccination in the workplace for COVID-19. What are the steps that we need to take? Uh, what are the boxes that we have to tick in order to get these vaccination policies in place? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Because if you go to that directive that we mentioned at the outset, which gives you some kind of guidance on how to go about contemplating and implementing your vaccination, mandatory vaccination policy, the fundamental thing that you've got to do in terms of the directive is that you have to conduct a risk assessment of your workplace. What does that mean? So you've got to look at your environment, you've got to look at how people work, you've got to look, um, are they cheek to jowl type um, production line people, are they office space people, do they work open plan office, do they work in individual offices, you know, how do they get to work, is it public transport, is it lift clubs, All those type of things you're going to have to take into account as your risk assessment. Most employers have done that already with the first return to work after lockdown, but but I think it's it's something that's going to evolve. Um, You know, as as the different degrees of lockdown are what we level one now, I think. Mm. Um, And and maybe that's also something to go back to the 21-day issue is that that was dealt with when lockdown was at level three. I think it was level three. Anyway, that's 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 a digression. But 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 the issue here is that you do your risk assessment. Then you then got to take into account why it is that you believe as an employer, and that's the point you just made, you believe that a mandatory vaccination policy is, is appropriate in your business. Um, and uh, so we, so that's something that, that, that would need to be determined because those are the issues that are going to be challenged. So you need to make sure that you've got the facts to support what it is that you are trying to argue. Then, of course, in that risk assessment comes comes the big point, and that's what we've been touching on all along, is that you really got to identify those employees that you believe are a greater risk to to infection. That requires either a question to be asked or some kind of um, a discussion to be had with individuals, which may uh, prompt all kinds of responses. You may get a stubborn approach to say it's none of your business. Um, and that's where we're going to have to rely on what is reasonable in the circumstances because it may well be your business in order to ensure that you have a safe workplace. Um, you may have employees that, that, that give the information willingly and are quite happy because they've been vaccinated and they, they just want to get on with life again. Um, so it's going to be quite interesting to see how that, that, that uh, turns out. But the thing with that directive, although it gives employers a direction on what to do the consultation and the explanation to your workforce as to why you're contemplating a mandatory vaccination policy, what it doesn't say, and it's like it's like reading a novel where the last chapter is torn out, is that you're looking for it and it isn't there. And what it is, it says, this is what you do to employees that refuse to be vaccinated if you are introducing a mandatory vaccination policy. That is just missing. And that is what every employer wants to know. That is the million-dollar question. And that we can't tell you until the courts determine it, but uh, we believe um, that the courts will approach it um, methodically, objectively, and will decide matters on the facts. So you as an employer are going to make sure your facts are 100% solid, that you've taken proper advice, and that you deal with employees fairly and and perhaps that's those are the type of issues we need to now discuss is that what would be grounds upon which an employee is likely to refuse to be mandatory vaccinated
Well, I think that what has come up is that, that as, as I said before, it is a medical procedure and, and we all have our rights to bodily integrity and to make a decision about how we are going to treat our own bodies, um, you know, within the parameters of the law, obviously. But um, it, is, it is an invasion on that. And so, you know, people have a right to refuse. Sometimes there's this religious component where, where people have a religious objection, and, and that's also fine. But as we said it right, you know, in our other, in our other podcast, the, those rights to bodily integrity and to religion can't infringe on, upon the rights of other people. Um, and, I, and I do think also, I mean, even if you look at the kind of access, uh, the access um, procedures of coming into any kind of a business and, and having to write down your name, your particulars, and, and have your temperature taken and, and that kind of very high, you know, high level screening process. I mean, that is actually a, a, a testing procedure. And, and, and employers and businesses have a right to say, well, if you don't do that, you're not coming in. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is a little bit of wiggle room in terms of maybe saying to people, you don't have to tell us, um, you know, if you if you are vaccinated, but you're going to have to follow, understand that if you're not, you're going to have to give us, if you can't show us a vaccination certificate, you're going to have to, I don't know, have shown antigen test. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. But the point is that there are these processes, in, because also because of the nature of COVID. I mean, it's highly highly contagious <laughs> it's not a, it's not a situation where it's very difficult to contract it from one another yeah so that is that is kind of why they they are able to put these extreme measures in place and i think all of those things will go into the pot but i don't think that somebody's right to privacy is going to trump one person's right to privacy i don't think is going to trump the health and safety of an entire organization i, I just don't think in terms of a of a balancing act um, between those constitutional rights or the right to privacy or the right to bodily integrity, I don't think that that is going to trump, um, you know, an occupational health and safety imperative. Yeah, especially when, when the spread of the disease is, it's ridiculous really if you think about it. I mean, no one is concerned about smallpox, um, polio to some extent, um, measles, I think even. Um, I know there, there's some resistance in the modern age for children to have the three yes, one the MMR, booster, yeah. it's called, mm. because there have been some some uh, effects on some children. And that's no, 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 it was just discredited. Please, let's not have, uh, let's right, not have right. misinformation. Okay, but the point... <laughs> Please! But, but, the, but the point, is, the point <laughs> is, is that smallpox is something, let's just deal with that. Mm. I mean, in the old days, I mean, you know, the old Monty Python movie, Bring Out Your Dead, um, it was rife. People were dying all over the place. Now, if for whatever reason, there was a new strain of smallpox that entered modern society and a vaccine was developed, um, I, I, I can't see how the world, because it is a, it's, 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 a, it's a disease that's been accepted in the past as being resolved or dealt with with a vaccine, um, how they would immediately say, well, no, you have the right not to be vaccinated. Know, even be though you, surprised. Even the, even, you, know, you, can, you can get on an aircraft and fly to London and infect everybody in that plane. That's, that's no problem at all. Um, so it's really that balancing act. Now, I, I accept that they're all the rights and you have medical reasons. Um, and I think maybe that's, that's an issue we haven't touched on, is that what happens if a person has a legitimate medical reason because it has some kind of reaction to the vaccine? 
um, and just can't be vaccinated. Well, I think that that's where that incapacity uh, procedure comes in really handy. And I think that that's what they're trying to say is that you need to establish very, very clearly why it is that somebody doesn't want to be vaccinated. So if it's a religious reason, you can't really convince someone otherwise. It's their religion and that's and that's something that they, you know, going to have to deal with. If it's if it's because they're just scared or they're just anti-vaxxer or whatever it is, they may be able to be counseled in terms of that. If somebody cannot have a vaccination and they have comorbidities and it is actually a medical issue, uh, that needs to be accommodated because, or it seems that the directive coming down is, look, it's really not their fault um, and let's do whatever we can, whatever is possible um, to, to mitigate their circumstances. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think if we drill down into this, there's really three broad grounds upon which a person is likely to object. One, because they just want to object. They have no real scientific, medical or, or um, constitutional ground upon which they are hanging their hat. It's just, I don't want it. I'm an anti-vaxxer. I will lie across the road and prevent people from going through the toll until such time as this is banned. <laughs> you know, those type of people exist in the world. So if you have that individual, um, I think that refusal can be considered to be unreasonable um, and therefore deal with that person in a normal disciplinary sense to say, my instruction to you is to be vaccinated. You haven't given a reasonable reason why you should not. And therefore your continued refusal is a breach of my reasonable instruction for which I'm entitled to discipline. And then that person will ultimately be dismissed if the refusal continues. In that process, there'll be counselling and all kinds of things to make sure that you can show a court that you've gone to the end of the world and back to try and convince this person to, um, to either give you a, a, a reasonable reason or, or to change their mind. So that person, I think, can be dealt with uh, quite robustly and reasonably, um, and, and reasonably easily. The medical condition issue is a bit more difficult, but... Why should that not be treated, and I think you touched on it, as a ground of incapacity, just as you would treat somebody who is a, um, a, a guy who goes up and down scaffolds and runs around gantries and things, who has a, a massive heart attack and has um, 16 stents put in his, in his body and is really unable to perform at that level of exertion. Same thing. I mean, that person is now medically incapacitated from performing his job, and he would be terminated on grounds of incapacity, which is a pretty rough thing because that person is normally terminated on notice without any legal obligation to pay any severance, although usually you would attach to it some form of um, pension payout or something in terms of uh, some kind of incapacity. But if you refuse on medical grounds because of a vaccine, I don't think a medical policy or a pension policy is going to pay out because of a because of an incapacity situation. So you as an employer will then have to decide, well, do I terminate on grounds of incapacity and take that on the nose and see what the court says? Or do I still go incapacity because that's what it is, but I soften the blow by giving that employee some kind of parachute, financial parachute, so they can get some kind of severance? That may be a, a, a conservative, but probably at this stage the right approach because of the unknown as to where we're going. Then the last option, of course, is that if a person has a constitutional gripe, is that I don't know if you can argue that is incapacity because they have a right. They have a right to refuse. That right, we're assuming, cannot be accommodated in the business. Um, and therefore, 
it's an operational reason then that that person must be terminated. And then does that, then that means you have to pay that person a severance, which is at this stage calculated on one week's pay per completed year's service plus notice. So if you've got a person with 35 years service, that person may suddenly very much develop constitutional grounds <laughs> upon which they want to uh, refuse the vaccine so that they get the 35 weeks pay plus notice and go off into the sunset and sell margaritas on the beach. So there, there is that to consider. But, um, but that's, that's going to be the devil in the detail. And I really think that's going to be an issue that the courts are going to have to determine is what will be the lawful ground for termination. Will it be incapacity? Will it be operational requirement? Will there be a severance? And more importantly, this, this obligation to accommodate. Because obviously when you've got your production line to accommodate guys cheek to jowl, I think it's very difficult. But if you have a bookkeeper or an accountant, why can't they work from home? Why do they have to come in and have this collegiality? They may not, they may not be collegial, you know. The, so they don't want to laugh and joke with people in the in the in the corridor. They're happy to work by their desk wearing their their slippers and gown and brush their hair just for the just for the Zoom meeting. Um, and I think it's going to be quite difficult to argue. Well, you've done it for two years with the COVID uh, when it's been rife. Now we want you to come back because we want to see your face. Well, why do you want to see my face? Is it necessary for me to, jo to do my job? I don't know. So it's that level of accommodation. That's what the courts are going to look at. And that's what needs to be debated. That's what employers are going to have to take advice on. Because there's definitely not one size fits all. Yeah, and I think if we even look at our own organization where people could notionally say, oh, well, I can work from home. Maybe then you get down to the nitty gritty and you start looking at productivity and really, really examining whether people are really working when they say they're working from home or whether they're just turning on their computer, you know, once during the Zoom meeting and then they're turning it off and watching Netflix. So, and there are ways, obviously, of, of looking at that. But essentially, Mark, I think we might have made this as clear as mud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it is very confusing for all of us, um, you and me included. But the point is that we want people to actually debate it with us because each case and each business and each employer is going to be different. Yeah. Um, and we can't give you a one-size-fits-all. But what we can tell you that is it, it, it is possible to have this mandatory vaccination policy, but you're going to have to be able to justify it. It's not something really? that you can just say, okay, well, I'm putting it in. Um, and, and we can find all sorts of reasons. There could be a million reasons why it must be mandatory. Um, and maybe you haven't thought of those reasons. Yeah. Um, that's, what, that's what our job is about, is finding a reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think if I have to end what I'm going to say during this podcast is that really, if you're contemplating a mandatory vaccination policy, you have to do a risk assessment. You have to then consult those with whom you have spoken. You have to objectively be able to prove that your business is one that requires a mandatory vaccination policy. And you then have to deal with employees fairly, which means there's a need to accommodate. And if you can't accommodate, it's only at that last hurdle, as a last resort, you, you must be able to consider dismissal. Whether it's for incapacity or operational reasons, that's a debate that's still to come. Well, thanks so much. And if you have any questions, please contact the Employment Law Department at Shepson & Wiley.